to give us the power to come alongside us to be a comforter, an encourager, and to empower us to do and accomplish your will. We commit this morning to you and the the preaching of your word. Father, we ask that our hearts would be touched and our eyes would be open. Give us understanding, we pray. Thank you for each one that's here today, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Open God's Word to the book of Acts, if you would. Chapter 2. Last week I told you at the beginning I didn't think we'd finish one verse, and we didn't. We didn't get all the way through verse 1. There's a lot to unpack in the book of Acts. We're going to give a brief review of of what that was from last week to help you to understand where, where we're headed with it today. Does anybody remember... We're in the book of, I should say, Second Luke. All right, we're in the book of Second Luke. But where did we spend most of our time last week? Old Testament, Leviticus. That's right, Leviticus. Anybody, you know, extra stars and bonus. If anybody remembers what chapter we were in, I heard it. Twenty-three. That's right, Leviticus chapter 23, good. And that we were talking and discussing the feasts uh, that, the, that the Jews celebrated in Old Testament and how it looked forward to the New Testament. We started in um, verses 4 and 5, the Passover, which was representative of Christ's death as the Lamb of God. And that was celebrated on the 14th day of the first month. Verses, and this is all Leviticus 23. Verses 6 through 8, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. There is no sin in Christ. In, in the Scriptures, leaven is a sign of sin. And because they were having the unleavened bread, it's an indication that there was no sin. And that refers to Christ. Verses 9 through 14 was the first fruits, the, the Feast of the First Fruits. And the priest would wave the sheaf of grain again. It was not bread, there was no leaven in it, representing Jesus Christ. And that feast of the first fruits is looking forward to the New Testament, Christ's resurrection. He was the, the, the resurrection from the dead. Because he died for our sins, okay? There, again, was the sheaf of grain. It was not the, the loaves of bread, as we'll see in Pentecost. First fruits and Pentecost, which is the next feast, are always on the first day of the week. And that's why we come to church on Sunday, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the first day of the week. And then Pentecost was seven, seven weeks later plus one day, 50 days later. That's where we get Pentecost. But the Pentecost, the, the priests waved two loaves of bread. They had leaven in them, so it was an indication of sin. So we know it wasn't referring to Christ. It was referring to one was for the Jews and one was for the Gentiles. Because in the church today, we know that there is still sin. And that that is the reason that he was the, the priest would hold the two loaves of bread at, at the Feast of Pentecost. Again, one for the Jews, one for the Gentiles, both still sinners. 
But the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came, and that's what the, the, the Old Testament Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost, was celebrating the giving of the law. And it was looking forward to the giving in the New Testament to the giving of the Holy Spirit in the beginning of the church. And that church, the, the Jews and the Gentiles, would come under one Holy Spirit and in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and be one church. They would both have the same means of salvation was through the blood of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit baptized believers into one body. The church will not be sinless until we are all in heaven. Then we'll be perfect like him because of who he is, not because of who we are or what we've done. All right? But because totally of what Jesus Christ did for us on Calvary and that he died for our sins. Nothing we can do. It's a gift that we must receive. And the Holy Spirit has a ministry in that. Acts, um, we'll leave Leviticus behind now and uh, get, get to our scriptures today in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. That shouldn't seem strange. If you'll look back in chapter 1, verse 14. It says they were all with one mind, continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with certain women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So it makes sense, be logical and fitting, that they would all be in the same place together. So that verse shouldn't be any surprise. They were all together in one place because they were continually devoting themselves to prayer. They were of one mind. We know we, if we begin chapter 2, that the mind that we are to be of is the mind of Christ. Not your mind, not my mind, not the best minds we can put together, but the mind of Christ. If you'll focus and try to have the mind of Christ, and if we all do that, then we'll find unity there in the middle, focused and centered on Christ. Not on your ideas, not on my ideas. Not on any human's ideas, but that we would have the mind of Christ. And there we can have peace and harmony and unity if we focus on Christ. Verse 2, And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. Now, I promise you, we won't even get to the end of verse 3 today. But, just an overall view of Acts chapter 2. You have the Holy Spirit baptizing the believers. You have the Spirit filling the believers. You have the Holy Spirit giving Peter the power to preach. And and his sermon's still a couple weeks off before we get there. But he also the Holy Spirit carried out his ministry of convicting sinners of their sin. Chapter 2 is pretty packed. But where I want to go again today is back to the Old Testament for a few minutes to look at, so, so often we think of, well, the Old Testament was God's work with the Jews, and the New Testament was Jesus Christ, and then when Jesus Christ left, it was the Holy Spirit, and, and that they each kind of had their own thing. That they, they, that they were never really together or working together. This is not true. 
And this is what we want to spend a few minutes here this morning looking at, is so that we understand that the the Holy Spirit was very active in the Old Testament, and that the Holy Spirit was active in and through Jesus Christ during his ministry here on earth. I'm going to ask you, to, now, now we should have a sword drill on this one, okay? You know, do you remember, anybody remember Bible school where everybody would raise their, okay? All right, this, is, this will be a real tough one. Genesis 1-1. Go ahead and turn back there. Genesis 1-1. When I was when I was a youngster in Bible school, I had a special Bible that was my Bible drill Bible. I still have it on the headboard up right above my head. It's a, that same Bible way from way back in the 70s. I, yeah, the print is still legible. <laughs> it hasn't smeared. The ink dried, yes. Um, but that Bible is just a special Bible because for some reason the pages just turned right in that book. But anyone was pretty easy to find Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, And darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Now, how many of you always think of the Holy Spirit when you think of creation? Yeah. The Holy Spirit was present at creation and was participating and active in creation. Turn with me to Judges chapter 6. We were talking about Gideon not too many weeks ago. Remember the story of the 32,000 soldiers? Had too many? God said, you're going to think you won the battle. I want you to know that I'm going to win the battle for you. Send them home. So anybody that was afraid went home. 22,000 out of 32 went home. Cut it down to 10,000. God said, that's still too many. You're going to think you won the battle. So they, they did the water, the lapping the water test and drinking water at the river. Sent all but 300 home. Now, God said, you will know that I fought the battle for you. Judges chapter 6, verse 34. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and the Eberzerites were called together to follow him, and he sent messengers throughout Manasseh. They were also called to follow him and sent messages, got to slow down, messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came up to meet them. And Gideon said to God, deliver Israel through me as you have spoken. Behold, I will put a fleece on the wolf of the threshing floor. We don't want to keep reading. I mean, it'll just, you know the story. In the, in the next chapters where Gideon, God said, send him home. But the Holy Spirit came upon Gideon. And that's one of the distinctions we'll make as we get into the New Testament and and pre-Pentecost and after Pentecost is the Holy Spirit would come upon, but he didn't indwell. Once we're saved today, the Holy Spirit indwells us. He never leaves us. He is with us. 
Okay? So that just a small distinction between what it was in the Old Testament is that the Holy Spirit would come upon them, but he didn't stay with them. He didn't indwell them. He came upon uh, people to do a work and to accomplish his purpose. And then over uh, just in the next chapter, chapter 7, verse 3, Now therefore come, proclaim in the hearing of the people, whoever is afraid and trembling. No, that is not the right verse. Did I write the wrong chapter down? That happens once in a while. What did I do? I'm sorry. Anyhow, move on. We'll go on to 1 Samuel 16. Give you a couple more instances. One of the things, if you have a a study Bible, or sometimes it's called a chain reference Bible at all, if you go to Genesis 1-1, there should be a footnote there referring to the Holy Spirit. And in that footnote, it'll tell you the next place in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit is mentioned. You could spend hours doing this. I just want to pull out a few this morning. But you can go through, and the the last one is like Zechariah 3.10 is the last place in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit is mentioned. But if you follow that that trail through, it'll it'll, it'll take you a little bit of time. Maybe, Maybe do 15 minutes a day or something like that and get through that, and you can see all the instances of the Holy Spirit working in the Old Testament. But in 1 Samuel chapter 16, in verse 13. Okay, I... um, I have verse 7 circled, but that's because that's one of my favorite verses. It's where Samuel is anointing David, and, and he says to David's dad, Jesse, he says, you know, he says, he might be your shortest, ruddiest, puniest looking son, but man looks on the outward appearance, I look at the heart. And, and Samuel says, God looks at the heart, Jesse. He wants the heart of your son, not not necessarily his his brawn and beauty. All right, but I'm sorry. Let's get on to verse 13. 1 Samuel 16, 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward, and Samuel arose and went to Ramah. I'm going to read the next verse, but it's not a happy verse. It's kind of the opposite. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized him. Kind of a a happy moment for David and and the anointing of the spirit on his life, and going to go forward with him and his work as the king of Israel eventually. And a pretty sad day because the spirit of the Lord leaves Saul because of his sin and unfaithfulness in serving him. uh, Chapter 19, just over a couple pages there in 1 Samuel. This has always been an interesting story to me. Saul sent messengers to take David, but when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, and in this prophesying it's the foretelling of the good news, they were with Samuel standing and presiding over them. The Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul. And they also prophesied. 
And when it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they also prophesied. Saul says, I got to see what's going on here. So Saul gets on his horse, rides down to Ramah. And in verse 23, it says, And the Spirit of God also came upon him, so that he went along prophesying. So the Spirit came back on, on Saul for this, this occasion. And uh, just, just kind of interesting that when, they, when the men got close to Samuel, that they began prophesying, that the Holy Spirit of God, the presence was there. And it's almost like they couldn't, the, the, the tone there is almost like they couldn't help themselves. And certainly David couldn't help himself when he got, or excuse me, not David, Saul, couldn't help himself when he got there because we know from Saul's heart that he was not in a, in a, a worshipful place. He wasn't in a right relationship with God. So why would he desire that? He didn't. But he couldn't help himself when the Holy Spirit of God came upon him. All he could do was proclaim God. 1 Kings 18. Who knew that our, our study of Second Luke would help us to become so well acquainted with the Old Testament, right? First Kings 18, verse 7. Now as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him and recognized him and fell on his face and said, Is this you, Elijah, my master? He said, It is I. Go say to your master, Behold, Elijah is here. And he said, What sin have I committed that you are giving your servant into the hand of Ahab to put me to death? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent to search for you. And when he said he is not here, he made the kingdom or nation swear that they would not, that they could not find him. And now they are, you are saying, Go to your master and say, Behold, Elijah is here. Now it came about when I leave you, that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you where I do not know. So when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I am your servant, I, your servant, have feared the Lord since my youth. Does anybody remember that story? Ahab wanted Elijah dead because of what went down with the priests of the Baal, that he killed them all after the day long of their, their praying and cutting themselves to get Baal to to call down fire on, a, on a, the altar there. Ahab, Ahab was not happy with, with Elijah because Ahab's wife wasn't happy, Jezebel, because she was the real Baal worshiper. So life wasn't good in the kingdom because all of her priests were dead. So he wanted Elijah's skin, eye for an eye, right? And he sent Obadiah. To find Elijah, and, and I, I love what he what Obadiah says there in verse twelve. Obadiah says to Elijah, "The spirit of the Lord will carry you where I do not know." Obadiah understood the power of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit could do, and he was afraid that if he ran to Ahab and said, "Elijah's over here, King, you can find him over here." that the Holy Spirit would pick him up and move him away somewhere else to keep him safe. 
What a powerful spirit. God's spirit that can do that to protect his own. And Obadiah knew that that could happen, and he, if, he figured if that happened, it was his neck. King Ahab, as angry as he was, was not going to be happy if Obadiah was sending him on a wild goose chase. Just write this down, 2 Kings 2, 16. Elisha, who followed after Elijah, when, when God took Elijah home through the chariot, and they're, they're, they're looking, they're looking for Elijah. They're searching for him. And they can't find him. And, and Elijah is gone. Elisha is trying to tell him not to go worry because he, Elijah, Elisha was there when Elijah went. He saw him go off into heaven. And they insisted that they look for him. And finally, Elisha was feeling kind of silly because he kept trying to tell him no because he knew. But they didn't understand. And the spirit, that the spirit had taken Elijah, Elijah away. Let's look at the ministry of Christ in Luke. First Luke. <laughs> First Luke chapter 1. Verse 30. This one's a pretty familiar story. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how can, I, how can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. Now we know as, as we through the years have, have looked and, and studied every January, we know as Right to Life Month, uh, although every month should be the Right to Life Month. We know that every pregnancy is a gift from God. Every pregnancy is a gift from God. And it should be treated that way. We're going we're gonna to talk, I've already got some, some sermons planned for January. Every life is a gift from God. We don't have the right to snuff out a life. That's God's work. That's for him to do. If it's his will, he will do that. But it's not our place to do that. And Mary will experience the or experienced will in the future tense of the, the reading here, will experience the Holy Spirit coming upon her. Another sign and indication that surely life is from God. Indeed, it is from God. And Mary is going to know that. A couple pages over, chapter 4.
Luke chapter 4, verse 1, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. In his humanity, Christ gave up certain of his attributes or the full use of them. He experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit. He needed the strength and power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish his Father's will. He was full of the Spirit, returned to the Jordan, was led about, and and then we know the 40 days of temptation with Satan. In the, in the struggle that, that Satan tried to put Christ through in, in trying to give him what was already his. Satan was trying to seem like he was the great gift giver by giving back to Christ what was already Christ. And each time Christ would respond with scripture to tell Satan to get lost. So we, even Christ was led and filled by the Holy Spirit. Acts 10.38 is the the message that we're going to... No, that's Acts chapter 2. I'm sorry, Acts 10. Acts 10, that's the right chapter. Acts 10 is where the the Holy Spirit is given to the Gentiles, is given to the the Jews in chapter 2 of Acts, and then in chapter 10 of Acts, verse 38... You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God appointed him with the Holy Spirit, excuse me, anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Again, Jesus of Nazareth was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. The Holy Spirit of God ministered to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in his ministry here on earth. So if Jesus Christ needed the Holy Spirit, I think maybe we do just a little bit. Yeah. We certainly need the power of the Holy Spirit to to convict us of our sin, to draw our focus and attention to Jesus Christ and what he had done for us. John 14, just got two scriptures left here, we're almost finished here, John 14, 16 and 17. This goes back to our our point in Acts chapter 2, verse 2, that the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. In the Old Testament, he would come upon for a moment, for a, a job, for uh, uh, the purpose and the will of God to accomplish a, a specific task. But once Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit came to indwell and to stay with us, to abide with us on a permanent basis. John fourteen sixteen and 17, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. And that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. 
but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. He will seal us, he will seal our salvation, and he will be abiding and staying in us. Not, not, not to come upon from time to time, but to reside here. That's, that's why this is just a building. This is not a church. We are the church. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If we submit our lives to him and give our lives to him, we are the church. The Holy Spirit indwells us. He doesn't, God's presence does not live in this room. He lives in our hearts. And in closing, uh, John chapter 7, just back a few pages. The Holy Spirit could not come any sooner than Pentecost. There was, there was a plan, and Father had a plan, and it had to be followed out. But the, before Pentecost, the Holy Spirit could not come and permanently indwell. John chapter 7, beginning in verse 37. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So after his crucifixion and resurrection, then Pentecost could happen. Then the Holy Spirit could come. John sixteen seven. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And at the end of uh, 1 Luke, we, we know that Christ is telling the disciples about him sending another comforter, or sending a comforter to him after he was to leave, after the ascension. But did anybody catch that in, in chapter, the, the scripture in chapter 7? that the Holy Spirit could not come until the Father was crucified and resurrected. Then the Holy Spirit, it sounds like Leviticus 23, doesn't it? You got the feast of the Passover, the crucifixion. You've got the feast of the of, uh, first fruits, the resurrection. And then 50 days later, you got the Feast of Pentecost. And that is when the Holy Spirit would come and indwell. And not just come upon for a moment or for a particular job or responsibility, but the Holy Spirit would come upon and indwell and stay right here and reside within us. So, what are you going to do with that this week? The same power that Jesus Christ had through the Holy Spirit, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have that same power. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. You can do more than you think you can do. All right? We have a responsibility to share the message of Jesus Christ. 
And we can take power and comfort and encouragement from the Holy Spirit to do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, and what he did on the cross for us. And then as he was ascended after his resurrection, 40 days later, he ascended into heaven in a sense, to not really, but in a sense to get out of the way so the Holy Spirit could come and come alongside and be our comforter and encourager, our power source. Thank you, Father. Thank you for making a plan of salvation, but a, a, a plan that we might live in faith and that we might live in the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the promises in your word. Go with us through this week, and we thank you for it, Father. Keep us and draw us to you. In Jesus' name, amen.